The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to a special edition of the Capital Weekly Podcast. Usually, Tim Foster and I have host a guest and we chat about all things political. Today, Tim Foster and I are the guests, and we're going to talk with each other about the Top 100, which comes out today, and tell you a little bit about how we put it together and what's involved. Tim, thanks for being here. Hey, John. Well, I'm glad we're finally done with this. Yes, me too. That's the first feeling of a relaxation in the last few months, I think. Absolutely. So, so, so when did you actually start working on the Top 100 this year? Well, uh, late, I guess. I think the first interview was in February, maybe late February, middle of February, maybe. It was in February at one point. And after that, the pandemic really started kicking in. And so I really only had one, maybe a second one also, that throughout that time period uh, with the lobbyist. After that, there weren't any. And so, But when you say interview, you mean in person. You did interviews over the phone. Yeah, but I mean a face-to-face person. coffee shop or office interview. Uh, after that, it wasn't like that at all. We just did emails and a little texting, mostly phones, which is different. I mean, the pandemic colored this whole list. It really is. This is the list of the pandemic. This is the list that really is was done remotely, like just about everything right now. And certainly that applies that applies to the list, too. Yeah. Did you actually have Zoom meetings to talk to people about the list? No, I didn't really do Zoom. I did some Skype, a little bit of Skyping, uh, but mostly it was phone calls. It was phone calls and email, I think. And I don't really like doing email with this list. I don't like written records at all. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. But this was an exception, and people were uh, kind about doing about helping us out and giving us suggestions and you know boosting some and knocking down others, which is what happens every year. It's our twelfth year, and believe me, the twelfth was just like the first in that respect. Um, it's really sort of a balancing of gossip is really what the list is. So now my memory on the first list, which came out in 2009, there was not this level of preparation. It was much more no. something that's thrown together maybe a month or a few weeks. Yeah. Not, you know, now starting in February for something that publishes in August seems late. Uh, but back yeah. then, you probably, you know, I think originally it was published in either March or April, the very first list. Yeah, we were just looking at it just the other day. It was in April. I remember one I saw, I think it was 2009, was in April. Um, uh, Truthfully, we didn't take it seriously at first, as, as seriously as we do now, for sure. I sort of saw it as, you know, the cutest couple in high school, the big man on campus, who's the president of the chess club. I, I sort of saw the Capitol as kind of a fun place to look at things and sort of rank them with some fun and some humor. And I think the first list was like that. We didn't take it any more seriously, I think, than a lot of other people did. But as we developed the list and started doing it each year, more people seemed to be engaged with it and take it more seriously than we did, at least than I did. Um, And so we realized we needed to put as much effort into it as other people, uh, I think, expected us to do because it was was taken more seriously. So we do it with a a bit more due diligence than we did before. Uh, We haven't reached the point, I think the California Journal did this good question for AG Block, but I think the journal... um, had a lot more data that they put out there. There were questionnaires. There were evaluations. Well, this were, is for their, uh, what do they call them, the, the minis. The minis, yeah. Um, and ours is still more informal than that. But having said that, uh, it's still a pretty good list. And I look at the list this time, and we've talked about it before. There are some 
people I think I'd like on the list. There's some people that probably would be on the list if we'd taken more time, but how much time can you take? So I'm, I'm happy with the list. I think the, the list is always a moment in time, a snapshot of time. Right. And, you know, there are people who suddenly announce their retirement. I know that uh, early on the list, on an early draft of the list, we would have absolutely had Lenny Mendonca on this list had he not stepped down. And so yeah. if he had stepped down a few months later, he would have been on the list. But because we actually had time to realize that he was no longer in the decision-making capacity, uh, it did change. And there's a little bit of that all the time, that there's yeah. and it, things could change at the last minute, and it sort of depends on when we pull the trigger on sending it off to the printer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it actually helps us because um, – when there's uh, when there's churn and there's turmoil on the list and people leave, for example, or people retire, it opens a space up. And it's easier for us. I think having more open spaces in any given year is easier for us because we, we're able to put more on the list than we otherwise would be. And we, and we can have a good justification or rationale not to have somebody on the list, especially if they've left the job that we originally thought um, that would make them you know eligible for the list, so to speak. So having people leave for us is great. And I think, uh, I, I'm not sure about the exact numbers, but I think we've got um, at least a fifth of the list is new. Isn't that right? Are we at about 23, uh, 24? Somewhere, I didn't, you know, I didn't count, but I think it's about that. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, by that, it might be about 23, 24, but that's not people that have never, ever been on the list, but uh-huh. it's new this year because it does churn around. Yeah, it you know, someone might have been on three years ago and then reappeared. Yeah. This, but I think there are about... 16 or 17 people that have never been on the list uh-huh. at all. Okay. Maybe maybe even more than that. Maybe 18. I can't remember. Anyway, so there are people that have never, ever been on the list before. Yeah. Um, obviously, Sarah Cody would probably never have been on the list yeah. before, you know, the head of the uh, of the health department in uh, Santa Clara County. Yeah. Santa Clara County. Yeah. Uh-huh. She clearly oh, would yeah. not have been on the list before. But yeah. this year, how do you leave her off? Yeah, I agree. And I think um, another thing about the list, actually, it's, it's true, I think, with every list. Sort of the working the working ethic here is that the center of authority in California, political authority in California, is the governor's office, is the governor. In fact, you can, and that can be parsed out in various different ways, but basically the governor is sort of the center of the universe. The staff that is closest to the governor, therefore, um, generally are on the higher levels of the list. And I think that's proper. And so one of the hard things about this list, last year was like this as well, is there's there's a certain amount of change in the governor's office and knowing what's going on in that inner sanctum is important for us to be able to put a, a valid list together. As far as I can tell, um, talking to people who do who are familiar with that, I think the list, that list, that top 10, top 12, top 15 is pretty good. I, I think we've nailed that. The harder part of the list, I think, is the, the vast area where most people, you know, they're, they're, they're somewhere between 20 and 100 or 20 and 80. It's that vast middle level well, that's to, really hard to put together, too. But to get back to the horseshoe, now the horseshoe this year is different than it has ever been in history because most people that work in the horseshoe are not currently working in the horseshoe. Uh, that's true. Most people are working remotely. Uh, a handful of people are working uh, as a team, as I understand it, at the Emergency Operations Center, uh, most of the staff of the Horseshoe are not in the office. Uh, one estimate was about 15 might be in the office at any one time, maybe a few more. Uh, so that's, you're right, that's different than it's ever been. The, the political interaction in the Horseshoe is probably the same and with varying degrees 
that it's always been. It's a bunch of intelligent, ambitious people uh, who, for whatever reason, are are happily working for the government, happily working for the person who appointed them, in sync with that person, generally philosophically and politically. Um, that hasn't changed that much, but the but the pandemic has completely changed the physical operation of the horseshoe. Yeah, I would, and I mean, I don't know this, but I would think that the dynamic would have changed in that proximity counts for a lot. And just if someone is in the office, they're going to be in a position where they might be able to be weigh in on a decision that wouldn't be as easy if they're across town at the OES office or even at home, you know, calling in. You know, I'm sure that that's, yeah, that's only be. making a fraction um, of a difference, but that fraction of the difference might, sure. in a state of 39 million people sure. can be a big deal. Yeah. People being close, physically close, being able to say something as the governor walks down a hallway or something, regardless really of their rank and whatever pecking order they have. Um, yeah, that could make a difference, sure. Now, is there anyone you can think of that really moved significantly this year from last year, uh, not because their job changed, but just because of the the pandemic and the role that they're playing? Um, you know, I think uh, Mary Bell Batcher comes to mind. She was um, uh, appointed to the PUC, president of the PUC. And I cannot remember her number last year, but I think it was in the 20s. Yeah. She's very high this year. She's within, I think, five, five or six. Uh, and that is because of the PUC's role. Principally, that's because of the PUC's role uh, as it relates to Pacific Gas and Electric Company. Uh, the PUC is at the center of a lot of that. Miss Batcher is also close to the governor. She's something of a troubleshooter. She's the one that uh, really came in and, and is credited with doing a lot to make the DMV more efficient. May, again, maybe they should give her EDD. I know, yeah. Um, so she, So I think that would be an example. Another example, it's hard to say like last year compared with this year, but clearly Mark Galley, who is the... Uh, right, who was not on last year. I know. Yeah. But I'm saying, but he comes in. Yeah. Have we ever had somebody come in at number four from the outside? We might have. I mean, maybe uh, maybe in a year when an administration changed, that's possible that someone would have come well, up there. But it could be. I'd have to look at the list. But I, I that's pretty remarkable. And Although that, we frankly we probably missed a bet by my memory on when we were talking about this last year was that Galley had not been there long enough, and yeah. so we, you know, the general rule here is that someone should be in their position more or less a year to kind of see yeah. what they're doing with the position, if they're really a good fit and all that. Yeah. And so we use that to give ourselves wiggle room because right. we really don't know. We use that as rationale, and I love that because, yeah. because it, again, it opens up a position we can exactly. play with. You know? uh, but this is a perfect example of the impact of the pandemic on this list. Uh, not only on our end, how we put it together, but on the government's end and on the administration's end of how they operate. And here we have the the health expert right there at the center of the operation center and at the center of the horseshoe and as close to the governor as there is, and he's doing these briefings, regular briefings, it clearly is justified, in my opinion. No, I think so. I mean, you know, everything is pandemic. I mean, normally, uh, one of the things that came up when we were talking about this list with, you know, some of your sources was that the legislative secretary would normally be a huge role in any administration, and it still is. Yeah. But this year, because we're probably not passing as many bills, there's not as much focus on regular legislation. Like SB 50 seems like it was a million years ago. And that was the quote-unquote yeah. big bill of the year not that long ago. Now, you know, it's like dinosaur times yeah. to talk about that. You know, I think and, so too. I think uh, 
the quantity of bills isn't the only determiner of what, obviously, what's going on over there. But I think it is a legitimate case to be made if you're doing a few hundred bills as opposed to a few thousand bills, then at some point the workload is less. It could be that gives you more time to concentrate on other things, and I'm sure that's a that would be you know more their position from in the horseshoe, and maybe it's correct. But it seemed to me like um, less it seemed less of a strain than it was before the pandemic where it seemed like pandemonium. A couple of times I've been over there right when the bills are crashing and things are coming and it just seemed like a, you know, a fire drill, you know. It seemed like Capital Weekly on deadline. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we could talk about that uh, have really changed or not changed. Um, you know, I, th- I tell you one thing I think has changed. Um, in fact, I know it has. Um, early on, the, the descriptions of people were basically one and two lines. Yeah. You know, you know, there's the size of what now would be a tweet, even a long tweet, uh, not 140 characters, but 280. But it was very brief. And so it is one or two sentences and brief sentences. But we've gone beyond that. And what is it, about 180 words? Is that our count? Uh, generally, edition? yeah, 180 to 190. I think. OK, so it's it's more extensive. That's still pretty tight when you have to get a lot of information. in. But that's that's different than it was before. That's a change we've adopted over time. And we hope that that brings more depth and you know a little bit more analytical examination uh, of the person and maybe some humor as well uh, we try to flesh it out a little bit well the thing i like about it is someone who came you know when i first started reading the list i wasn't involved in in any way shape or form yeah. in creating it i just sort of followed it as you and anthony put it together and a lot of these names are unfamiliar to me at the time because yeah. you know I think the average Californian probably couldn't name 98 of these 100 people would Absolutely. be completely unfamiliar yeah. uh, to the average Californian. And and so getting a little bit of backstory on there, especially if it's something that's a novelty, you know, uh, the thing I always think about is um, like Robbie Hunter yeah. and his, you know, his forebears having worked on the Titanic. Something you always, I think about that every time I see Robbie Hunter yeah. walking down the street or... Uh, you know, or Eric Bauman, who used to be on the list for a long time, that his uncle is Bowser from Sean and <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, there's cool. other, obviously, other things. Or uh, And I love Sean and Yeah. Well, who, who doesn't? <laughs> who the doesn't most, like Bowser? <laughs> the most punk band at Woodstock. Um, and then ter- Tracy Arnold speaking Mandarin. Yeah. As a, yeah it's one great. of those things where you yeah. go, oh, I'd wow. Yeah. So I love those little nuggets that kind of give you some insight into yeah. Their you know their backstory that you wouldn't otherwise have. I know one of the first lists um, might have even been for the list. It might have been that personnel profile we used to do. I think it was Anthony did a piece on a guy who worked over in the Capitol and was an expert in swimming, Swiss wrestling. Ah, now where would you get that? You'd never know that any other way except that he knew and they knew each other and they and it was perfect for the list. Another guy uh, was uh, and I'm blanking on the name right now was. Uh, Absolutely excellent poker player. Oh, I remember that remember? profile, yeah. Uh, just a great poker player and actually had competed in the, what is the World Series of poking, uh, po- uh, Poker or the World Championship of Poker. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in Vegas. And that kind of stuff is really interesting. And I think people, I mean, I like it. And I think people reading it like it. You know? Yeah, and it's, it's also interesting to follow these over the years because now we're, you know, when you get to print edition, because this does exist online, but then there's also the print edition, uh, the top 100 book that we do every year. Yeah. Or you can actually dig back through all the lists, which are online somewhere. If you yeah, can find somewhere them. you can find them. Um, we make com- it tough. You have to look for it. Yeah. And, you know, I, as backstory, when we were looking back 
you know, suddenly we realized this is history about three years ago, and I started looking back for some of these, and there was actually one list that was lost. I don't remember what year it was, maybe 2011. Oh, uh, yeah. And I could, we did not have a copy of the list. That's I funny. didn't, I mean, I may have a copy of the print edition of the paper somewhere in a storage unit where we have some back copies, but I couldn't actually find any copies on our computers here. I didn't, and I finally found it on a website that it actually, copied the list they had actually just copied our list and printed it on their website as sort of a you know clickbait yeah and that's where i actually found it. I was like, oh yeah okay and it was the you know I love it so i was <laughs> like thank god for the internet um but it's been interesting watching some of these people that have been on for a long time going up and down and changing yeah. and like you know for example david quintana who's yeah. been on who's been off yeah uh you know when we first were aware of him really it was so much with his tribal affiliations and gambling associations. And now he does, God knows what he does, but he does, you know, his marijuana clients and other clients. And then of course he's done the bash and it's interesting to see him move around. And I think, you know, he's even been off the list some years and now he's got his new podcast, um, which I don't even know if he's, I don't even know if that's announced yet, but political issue. Yeah. Something like that. But he's, you know, yeah. As a giant office, you walk around and think like we've obviously done something wrong because his office is bigger than my house. So, but <laughs> you know, again, I remember that I really liked was the one uh, that you came up with on uh, Jeff Keitlinger in the metal, heavy metal, or punk band. Oh yeah, that he loves new wave music. That's right. Yeah, that's amazing. I thought. I mean, not amazing if. Well, it was amazing to me because I think of, uh, you know, uh, a uh, government employee at that level. You know, the MWD, General Counsel of the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, being very buttoned down and straight laced and not very funny. How many funny general counsels and general managers, I guess not general counsel, but how many really funny bureaucratic leaders do you know? I don't think there are a whole lot, at least that I've come across in state government. And that really, that jumped out at me. I thought that was a pretty good nugget. Well, it's funny. I think anybody who follows his Twitter feed will be fairly familiar with that because yeah. his... Twitter feed is pretty evenly split between water policy and, you know, punk and new wave bands from the late 70s, early 80s. It's split right down the middle. And he's actually an example of someone who was off the list because we thought he was retiring. Yes. Yes, I thought he was, well, he had announced that. uh, But his announcement takes effect, his retirement takes effect in 2021. And when we started putting the list together uh, this year, he normally would be on it. And we started putting it together this year. He was not on the list because we thought he'd retired. And actually, uh, he's going to be around a while. So he stuck him back on the list because we're godlike and we can do that. Yeah, well, and and it's hard to know. I mean, and then uh, the UC president. Yes, Janet Napolitano. Who is off the list. She's but really, you list. could make the argument to leave her on because she's still here, but uh, she's, she's got one foot out the door. Well, so. she's got two feet now. You're right. That's a good point. That's an excellent point. It turns out uh, she announced that she was leaving last year that she would leave in July. I think actually it might have been earlier, but she stayed on. Uh, but she, her successor, uh, uh, Michael Drake, took office this week. And so oh. Janet Napolitano is now officially retired. She was in play for most of 2020. So we could basically have had her in and not have Michael Drake to next year because he's brand new. Yeah. But we figured, I mean, I figured with UC, the size of that institution. Uh, um. And then... What is that? Somebody's blowing yep. an atomic bomb upstairs or yeah, something. Yeah, you're, if you're hearing these bangs, that's uh, people upstairs from our office. Apparently, they're apparently moving their elephant around. Um, so, speaking of elephant, that's another thing. We do not have 
a tremendous amount of Republican representation in this list, and that has changed yeah. tremendously over 12 years. Or that has, 12 issues, 12 yeah. cups to the list. I, I agree. That's a really good point. Uh, we can see that change over the years and less of it. It was almost, um, it seemed to be almost standard operating procedure. You'd have the Democratic Party chair or top party official, and you'd have the Republican Party chair or Republican Party official, but there's been a dwindling uh, of the Republican strength in California, and the, and the list reflects that. There are obviously consultants, political strategists that were traditional public and Republican strategists who uh, were on the list before and probably will be again and have been on and off. Um, but that's different than the overall power structure of the state being as balanced as it once was between the GOP and the Democrats. Sure, well, like Rusty Hicks this year is 24. Yeah. And the current GOP party chair is not even on the list. That's right, yeah. And, you know, in the old days, it used to be Jim Brulte and, uh, you know, whoever was head. They yeah, changed we'd have Bauman on the list. We'd yeah. have Brulte on the list. Or whoever, and they'd be fairly close. But that has really changed. And yeah. I, I think it does reflect power structure in California. You know, things have changed. And now it's yeah. the people who are more embedded as consultants and et cetera. They have the long-term careers, and they still have some clout. Although even that's changing a little bit, I feel like. Yeah. It's hard. You know, this is very subjective. Obviously, we're making a... Uh, this is always the sort of the caveat emptor, uh, sort of the caveat I have every year is that it's a very subjective list, and it really reflects our discussions and our talking and how we deal with people and what we think and how we deal with people or we think have knowledge about what goes on. But it's, at the end of the day, it's very subjective, and we don't pretend that it's anything else. It, it's still, at the end of the day, it's the list that um, we sort of came up with in a bar talking about uh, what would be fun to do. And this is one of the things we thought would be fun to do. There's so much at Capital Weekly that originated in a bar yes. as what would be fun to do. I was thinking that just as I said, I think personnel profile, I think it was another one that did that. But, 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 we want, but at the end of the day, we want the list to be fun and list fun, but also reflective to the best degree possible of the way the, the power equation plays out in Sacramento. Right. And for me, I mean, when I've tried to wrap my brain about what the list actually is, I mean, what it started as was different because it was more in the early list. I think there was much more of a high school yearbook feel yeah. uh, to it. And, and as it's sort of calcified into a quote unquote yeah. institution, the thing I always think is, OK, does this person either affect elections? Do they affect legislation? Do they affect politics in general? So in the end, for me, it's like, it has to have that ability to do something. And there are other people who, by their title, you know, there are, there are gubernatorial appointments and secretaries, et cetera, who have not ended up on the list because they have not sure. really expanded on their position. So they do, you know, they get the job done, they're there, but they haven't really, you know, once they move, the next person will not be feeling the, feeling the shadow. And so it's, it is hard to know. I mean, it's, you know, there's not a real hard and fast way to put this list together. Well, I think like you and I were talking before, um, it is interesting. There are people that we've never heard of before who are uh, instrumental, for example, in moving vast amounts of money around the political world. There are a handful of them, and they clearly are people we need to look at for the list. One year we did have one of those people on the list, I recall. and I'd never heard of him before, and I can't remember his name now yeah. after three years, but... 
Uh, you only move thirty million a year. Thirty John. million a year, but that's really important to know that. And, and it's not just money that uh, sort of weird segue here, but it's not just money that assures a position on this list too. For a number of years, Ron Burkle was a major political player in the state. But mostly, it was our impression up here in Sacramento, he was strongest during um, an early, during earlier administrations. And that carried over, but but not so much now, even though he's still out there with a lot of dough. Gerald Parsky is another person like that, who I think was on a list early on, but not so much now. Um, this year, I'd heard a couple of people say, hey, you got to get David Crane on the list. Well-known um, very familiar with money, well-known finance person, close to, very close to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's kind of off doing his own thing now. But checking around with other people, we couldn't, I couldn't validate that. But yet there is a name of, of someone who maybe should be on the list. Well, I like um, to think of him as number 101 this year. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, um, it, it, I think the transfer of money, the influence on the way money gets spent in campaigns. I know we talked before about David Pruitt. Definitely, I think, should be on the list. There are a couple others on the board, which we won't give their names away because these are secret, right, so to speak. Our high uh, sense of security at Capitol Weekly here. But, um, it, but that's one of the hardest things about the list. Is so doing to the be, money but trail. to be clear, David Pruitt is not on this year, not on but this he year. probably should have been. Probably should have been. In my opinion, he should have been. And But you look at 100 people on the list, and there's, somebody's got to be cut, and you, you cut it the best way you can. And I'm, there are others out there we haven't pr- heard of right at this moment as we talk on the podcast that are probably we're going to wind up needing to have on the list next year. And who knows what's going to change between now and next year. If the pandemic lasts that long and we're still, uh, you know, then God only knows what this list is going to look like next year. Well, and that's one thing, uh, you know, when people have offered criticisms of the list that there are people that should have been on or should have not been on, they forget that a lot of times they're in this world. I mean, if they're working in capital politics, they probably know things that they go out of their way to make sure that journalists don't know. Yeah. And so I feel like we're always on the list. We're running behind. And, you know, there have been cases where someone ended up on a list probably a year after they should have been. You know, they had a major a major play at the Capitol or managed to get some legislation through, but we didn't realize that their fingerprints were the ones that were on it. Yeah. So instead of coming in that year, maybe the next year when they're not as active or not as successful, they may be on there and it doesn't seem like it makes sense. But really it's because we realize, oh, they should have been on last year, but we're getting them in this year. And and it is, I feel like we're always a little behind the eight ball from the people that are actually in the building that are, you know, yeah. the lobbyists always know more than the journalists. And there's some people that come out, you're right, and they say afterwards, we realize, oh, they really know what's going on. I wish I'd talked to that person. Yeah. And there's always a little bit of that in the list. There's also, we go through this in the list, we go through it 20 times looking for errors or mistakes, and we, we try to get, and of course we don't get all of them, but we try to get those. We want the list to be as um, reliable as possible. That's the goal. Yeah. And for whatever other value it has, we try to make it as accurate as possible, too. And I, I know I've mentioned this before, but I was really happy one time. You and I were delivering the list in the cap or the book, excuse me, in the Capitol. And uh, one of the offices, one of the legislative offices, we gave them a couple of copies and they said they showed it to their staff. They oh, showed the, the list tra- of their staff as, you know, hey, these are people you need to know, even though you've never heard of most of them. And I thought that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean. Capital Weekly is published by a nonprofit called Open California. Yeah. And, you know, transparency and understanding 
California's public policy process is an important part of what we do. And I feel like this, even though in some ways it seems frivolous, and certainly some of the write-ups are lighthearted, but I do feel like it allows someone to understand the power structure that's not on paper anywhere else. I mean, if you were to go to a civics class and learn about how California laws are created and learn about elections, et cetera, you would hear about very few of these people and you would not really understand how much of a role these people, I mean, how do you, how is anyone going to teach Kip Lipper in a class, Mm -hmm. you know, yet try to get a piece of environmental legislation on the governor's desk without it going through Kip Lipper first, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's not on paper anywhere except Mm -hmm. in this. And I think that's one of the values with this book or on the list, I should say, is that, it allows you to look and sort of understand this invisible power structure that plays a huge role in in legislation, public policy in general, certainly in elections. And, you know, again, we're not, I won't say that we're right, because there's no way this, this list is 100 people. It's subjective. And if we get 80% of it right, I feel like we're doing pretty good. Yeah. But 80% is better than none. And so we're doing our best, but I feel like it does give you an insight you're not going to get anywhere else. And that's sort of the value. I mean, if you're an insider and you do know how this works, I think it's it's fun. It's more of a thing to see how it, how your acquaintances and your colleagues, you know, are perceived by journalists from outside of the sphere. But if you're not in this world, I feel like this is, it's an interesting thing to show this to someone who is not really involved in politics. And they're just like, I had no idea. You know, just have no idea that there's all this, you know, when you're making the stew, that there's all these hundred people in the stew that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, that's actually part of the most fun of the list are the people that are on the list that no one's ever heard of, even sometimes in this community. They go, wow, I didn't know that person did this or that. That's what's pretty cool. There aren't a lot of them on the list like this. I think uh, every year we have some on that list, but I think most of the people on this list are known to most of the others in the capital community because they run across them, yeah. you know, each year, either in opposition to something or, or they've, you know, they've uh, coalesced on the same side of some issue. I think the toughest thing about the list, it, I see this every year, and I, I don't know an easy way around it, but I think it's the lobbyists. I think if you stand back and look at the state capital, I think the, the lobbying community is a driver of so many things. Yeah, there's how, the many, how many lobbyists in California? Oh, God, I think they're close to 1,200. Yeah, eleven hundred, twelve hundred, somewhere. That's that's fairly close. And there are lots of different kinds of lobbyists. There are lots of different kinds of advocates. They're hired guns. There are lots of people with big private clients. Or the profits, uh, the nonprofits, um, have lobbyists. They're the good lobbyists, the good guy lobbyists that you know lobby exclusively for cleaner water and uh, better rivers. And then the lobbyists but, that hire other lobbyists. Yes, and in fact. In fact, in fact, government lobbying government is one of the first stories that political reporters do. They go to Sacramento and you find out the, the city of uh, Milpitas has hired lobbyists to do something. Uh, they're competing with the city of San Francisco and they're both lobbying state government over something. That's not that unusual and, and that's pretty funny too. But I, th- I think the lobbying community is really much a part of that. I'm, I, every now and then we hear of a suggestion to... Uh, well, why don't you do a lobbying, top 100 lobbying? I don't even want to go there. Are you going to do it on billing? If so, you probably have the same 10 or 15 companies every year that will be entitled to be on the list. So the sense of entitlement for the list is not much fun, okay? But you can't do it by billing. 
how, how big the firms are? Well, they might be a big firm, but are they moving the needle? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but is that the only prerequisite? Um, on a firm that always is on the list, uh, KP is one, Aaron Reed & Associates is another. Do you, do you have the individual lobbyists that actually put that firm on the map? Uh, well, then you'd have 10 of your spaces taken up. So we don't, we're not going to give 10% of, the, of a top 100 list to Aaron Reed's Two lobbying firms, firm, yeah. yeah. So, it's just, we, so it's a conundrum. We haven't really solved it. We kind of tiptoe around it every year, and hopefully it comes out looking halfway decent, but, it, but it's a tough one. Well, that, I agree with that. For me, it's also really tough with the journalists, and I know that we've gone round and round and round about whether or not journalists should even be on this list. And I know that uh, some of our sources are adamant that they shouldn't be and that they're really, yeah. you know, outside the picture. But I think the argument can easily be made, you know, when when a journalist, especially if they break some story, uh, the Laura Rosenhall mask story, perfect example. I mean, everyone read that. Everyone in political power read that. It had an impact. Every journalist chased it. I mean, it was a huge story. Yeah. And, and there's other people who maybe write over and over and over again. They just write stories that read Skelton as an example where you know that his columns are getting read yeah, over and over and over again. And, and they have long-term. Dan Walters for years was like that. He's been off the list for maybe a couple of years. Really, I don't know, I guess because he was no longer at the B, but, you know, and also because I think Cal he's... Matters now, so. Yeah, but I think he's um, also maybe... That's where it's subjective, too. Yeah. I, I agree. I don't, um, I don't know how to play that out. I mean, what we've done... In the last couple, three years, I think it's actually worked. Uh, we have a spot set aside for uh, a journalist to be on the list, a reporter, not a columnist, a reporter. One year, I think the first year we did, we had Jackson Van Derbeken of the Chronicle, who'd seen, oh, it was Carla Marnucci, excuse me. Oh, okay. Carla Marnucci had done one. I think she was still with the Chronicle then. She did some great coverage on the East Bay uh, legislative seats there, and she was on the list. And the following year was Jackson Van Derbeken of the Chronicle, who seemed to break everything involving... PG&E and follow-ups with the with the natural gas explosion and then stuff involving not PG&E. that we were jealous, mind you. Of no, of course not, because we're above that at Capital Weekly. Uh, and then um, Dale Kassler of the B was another one. Everybody said, "God, the guy writes the whole paper. He he doesn't, and he'd be the first to tell you that." And uh, I'm sure he was he, he it was unexpected. That's another thing. I like this being unexpected. That's what's fun. We got to have some fun, and we're recognizing journalistic talent. And, okay, it's not the Pulitzer Prize. It's not the Peabody Award, okay? <laughs> but it's a few people who work in the Capitol uh, and who are journalists themselves. I was, you know, a, journal, a regular, a conventional journalist for many years here in the Capitol. And, you know, I know good reporting when I see it. And I'm happy to be able to do a shout-out to, you know, someone like Dale. And this year, should can we say who it is this year? Yeah, yeah. yeah? Okay. And this year, it's Laurel Rosenhall. And... The story was kind of a hey, Martha, on the money, the amounts of money involved in these masks, and then having to claw the money back and not have, it didn't work out. It, it bespoke to the government's uh, lack of preparation, uh, lack of due diligence, the sense that we're under the gun, we were and are under the gun as far as getting uh, um, equipment, uh, protective equipment. It was a really good story, just short, you know, that's it. It was a good story. And, and, and I got to be honest bit. with you. But Laurel also, she's, that's one story. She's on it every day. I feel like she is uh, a must-read. Basically, any story she writes is probably going to be a must-read. And she's been 
following this since I don't know when she started. I mean, it was she was the bee. She started covering Capitol. Yeah. And talk about the, your finger on the pulse. Yeah. I mean, Laurel is just one of those people who, if you are not reading her coverage, you're missing out on what's happening in the state. I mean, there's just no question that if you eliminated her from your media diet, you would be less informed as a as a you know person who cares about politics. Yeah. Absolutely essential. So. That's why we made her number 100. <laughs> Sorry, Laurel. You should have been a little higher. but um, And I guess and then the one, maybe we can end on uh, Mike Madrid. Who, oh, there yeah. Was, there was great debate. What do you do with Mike Madrid, who has been a longtime GOP presence in California, and even on a national level? But uh, Yes, but for different reasons on a national level, but yes. But, um, but I mean, now, because he's sort of disavowed the GOP in many ways. I don't know if he's actually left the party, but he's certainly he's a never Trumper. He's been very active in the Blinken project. He, okay, is he affecting, the question is, is he affecting anything in California? Yeah. Who knows? Actually, that's not the, well, I mean, that's part of the question. Um, But uh, the national presence has given him a cachet in California, I think, that he didn't have before. He was mostly, as I remember and have dealt with Mike over the years, very much the Latino uh, politics expert, <clears throat> advisor to the legislature and Latino stuff, but, and also, of course, Republican consultants you mentioned, and also still has uh, the newsletters on city government and on county government. So he's he's done a lot. By the way, those uh, are free to, to get, and they're really good. Yeah, yeah. You can get them from Grassroots Lab. Grassroots if you go to their Lab. website yeah. and look for them, uh, both really interesting and free. But he's such a national figure now that he, people who are, are gravitating to the Lincoln Project, uh, he's very closely identified with that now, obviously. Uh, I see tweets now, what would Mike Madrid say to this? <laughs> what would Mike Madrid do? And I thought, wow, it's hard to believe. You know, well, yeah, now people are even uh, decorating his room for him on, ra- <laughs> you know, to get him ready for Room Raider. They're doing digital uh, modifications of his backdrop. It is pretty funny to be in Sacramento over a period of time and see people who were state uh, players here, political players, government players, wind up going to Washington and play on the national stage. And it's just hard to imagine when, they, when they're when they in Washington, they get sort of national exposure and it's not like anyone really knows them at all. We know them here and have dealt with them and it's it ain't no big deal. Well, it's funny you're seeing that with... D.C. and then you don't know. You're you know? seeing that with Karen Bass right now. You're thinking, wow, Karen Bass used to be right there. Yeah. You know, you'd see her at Chicory. Yeah. And then uh, maybe the last person we can talk about is another person that's a mystery. Like, what? where do you put him? He's got to be on the list, but where? It's Paul Mitchell, who writes for us, does the California 120 column. Yeah. He is, runs Political Data Incorporated that basically every campaign goes to to get their data. Yeah. But he's not, you know, he's selling to Republicans and Democrats. He's, you know, he's... His, his effectiveness and his... his um his position on the list, I think, is because he is intimately... Matt Rexrod's another one, too. I think we talked about him earlier, uh, not on the podcast, but before the podcast. They're intimately aware of the of the gut-level, street-level, nuts-and-bolts of politics. But when you say gut-level, it, none of it's gut-level because it's all data-driven. No, it's all gut-level because they market it for candidate. Now, it's, it's true that a candidate um, can, I, I guess, have their various packages. You can buy... Uh, uh, as much data as you think you can use, as much as you can afford, and you get into really, really arcane, detailed um, 
data analyses of the of districts and you're it's like handicapping your chances it's kind of a combination of gambling on a horse race but having a lot of knowledge about the track and what makes you know what makes one horse beat another the horse race analogy is pretty hackneyed i get but i think it does apply here and somebody like paul who develops markets and sells political information that's that candidates use it, I don't know what number that makes him on the list, but he's on the list. Exactly. exactly. I, you could make a good argument. It could be number 20 or it could be number yeah. 100. No. Uh, and you could probably make a good argument. I agree. And so I, randomly, I mean, uh, where did we stick him this year? He's number yeah. uh, uh, he's, he's number he's 86. Yeah. And, you know, that's and he's probably, another guy. He's a Californian, you know, um, and yet he's got a lot of cachet nationally. Nationally, people who follow this stuff follow Paul. So he's here and he's doing California races, but what he writes and what how he na- analyzes things, uh, that has a certain amount of national following, national cachet. That's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Also, he, he was a student of that guy Lickman, who just came oh. out, you know, um, who has developed the 13 keys and he uses those to predict who is going to win the next, and, he, and he's done it before. He's Although I did see that uh, someone said, oh, he predicted uh, Donald Trump in 2016. And I think if I'm, remembering this correctly he actually didn't predict that he would he predicted he would win the popular, the popular vote, vote yeah. which he did not yeah. uh so he was kind of uh, right well I mean, the, he did predict i just saw a thing with him new york times ran a thing on him this morning he did predict trump he predicted he's changed his predictor in one race it might have been uh gore v bush i don't mm. know uh but it, he's very funny He's actually, it's, it's hilarious. Well, he was, one, <laughs> one of his students was Paul Mitchell. And Uh-oh. I, I think that's pretty funny, too. He thought, he, I, Lookman is not a fraud. It's interesting. He partnered up with a guy who, who uh, a guy who um, made his living predicting earthquakes. Hmm. There's no, not a whole lot of earthquake prediction out there. So rather than use polls as the predictors of elections, he has these, these various criteria that you can use. Uh, track record in office of the incumbent track record of the challenger, whatever that might be, charisma of the challenger, charisma of the incumbent, uh, forays into social, into foreign policy, forays into domestic and social policy. How does all this play out? Well, you know, does he factor proof is in, in the pudding. You know? Does he factor in uh, hush money payments to porn stars? Like, <laughs> does that think, get a percentage? Nobody does factor in scandals. Oh, there you go. And uh, based on that, that was one of them that uh, that he mentioned this morning. Based on these various criteria, he's got Biden winning. Oh, really? So we'll see. Well, so does everyone else. I think, and maybe Karen Bass is the you know. There you go. Well, and that's I think we probably said all that we could possibly yeah. say. The list itself is up at CapitalWeekly.net. It'll be our top story right now, or just search Capital Weekly Top 100 List 2020. If you absolutely must have a print edition of this, we do have a very nice. Uh, printed book with of this. It also has all the backlists without all the biographical information, but just the numerical num- lists uh, going back all the way to 22009. And those are 10 bucks plus shipping. So if you want to get one of those, give us a call or send us an email and we'll be happy to get you one. And we had our first ever virtual top 100 on August 11th. Uh, and that I liked hope went off well. Uh, we had some fun special guests, and uh, whew, next year we got a break till next year. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure we'll actually start doing. Uh, we'll start writing names on a whiteboard within two weeks of of this. I've got four up there already. There you go. We don't tell don't tell anybody who they are. <laughs> so um, 
Well, John, this okay. is great. And uh, also, if you have any questions about why this person, why not this person, whatever, we really encourage you to email us. Uh, you know, it's at john.howard at capitalweekly.net, or I think you can even just write to top100 at capitalweekly.net. And send us an email and yeah, say, hey, works, yeah. you know, why not this person? Why this person? We really actively solicit suggestions for the list for next year. And that's a big part of what we do uh, in the way that this list is developed is reaching out to a ton of people and saying, hey, who who needs to be yeah. on there yeah. this next year? So, yeah. so if you've got ideas, please share them. If you've got ideas and suggestions, send them in and we'll make a point of ignoring every single one of them. John is. Yeah. John, <laughs> the secret of John's success. <laughs> Tim Foster, thank you very much. Hey, thanks, John. And uh, Tim and I will see you next time around.